Please remain standing, standing while we read uh, the Word of God. This morning's passage is Proverbs 23rd chapter, verses 12 through 18. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to the words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his, whole, his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let your heart, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Dave, for that scripture reading. If you've got a Bible today, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 12. What we're doing, if you're just now joining us, is we're doing kind of a little jaunt through the book of Proverbs. In the new year, we're going to get into the book of Romans, and we're going to go through that thing word for word. But right now, we're, we're picking selected passages in Proverbs, and we're talking about those because Proverbs will repeat itself over and over and over again. And what we've seen in Proverbs is we've seen wisdom. We've seen wisdom on avoiding sloth, on avoiding the adulteress, on avoiding foolishness, on walking in righteousness, and today we're going to see wisdom regarding the disciplining of children. Just a second ago when we did the scripture reading and the text said, if you strike him with the rod, he will not die, someone behind me gave a loud amen, all right? So we're going to be talking about disciplining kids today. Before we do, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're a good father and that you love us and that you discipline us because you love us. And so I just pray for blessing over this, uh, this particular text and uh, just pray against misunderstanding here. We thank you for your word. We thank you that this isn't just ancient wisdom, but it's relevant for us today. And so we love you and we praise you. We ask for uh, grace during this sermon. In Christ's name, amen. Now, the Bible's going to say that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, that we are born broken, we are born sinful, and so this text is going to talk about discipline today, okay? So as a kid, there are many times where I needed to be disciplined. My brother and I just did not really click. He's about two years younger than me, and uh, this rivalry between he and I really started when he was born in the hospital. I went to see him in the hospital. I was two years old, and I mooned everyone in the elevator, my parents told me, okay? Uh, when he was little, I sat on his head as a baby. Another time, he was in one of those baby swings. Y'all remember these old baby swings? They used to swing your baby like way too high. I don't think that they would pass today, but they would swing the baby too high. I pushed him out of that. He hit the ground and slid underneath the table and did not be, he was not decapitated, all right? Another time, we have on video my brother playing outside in the leaves. He's probably two years old. And I'm about four years old, and I'm sitting inside of a Power Wheels. Does anybody know what a Power Wheels is? Basically, 30 years ago, they decided it would be, it would be wise to give little kid car, kids cars. And so uh, they called those Power Wheels. You would have to charge it for like 10 months to get 30 minutes of energy. And so you would charge the Power Wheels, and it would take off at a blistering one, maybe two miles an hour. Okay? And so my brother is playing over in the leaves, and I'm sitting there in the Power Wheels, and all of a sudden, on camera, I get this devilish grin on my face, and I floor it, really slow flooring it, and I'm going right towards my brother, and I hit him. Now, because it's a Power Wheels, nothing happened, but you could see the brokenness in my heart, okay? Another time, I was uh, cleaning the restroom. My mom had told me to clean the restroom, and I was actually cleaning the toilet, and I was a little kid. And uh, she said, if you don't do a good job, I'm going to make you do that with a toothbrush. And I looked at her and said, your toothbrush, all right? So today, I get paid to speak. Twas not always so. Twas not always so. 
What we're going to be talking about today is disciplining kids. What does that look like? What does it not look like? The Bible's going to have a lot to say on this issue. Let me give you some preliminary things before we get into this text. Number one, if you are single or if you do not have kids, this text still applies to you. Not only because God wants us to know everything in His Word for the people of God, but one day you might have kids, but more importantly than all of that, is that you can learn something about your relationship with God, specifically by looking at this passage, even if you yourselves don't have kids. So don't think, this is just for married people, this is just for people with little kids, my kids are out of the house, this isn't for me. God has something to say to you today in this text. Number two, I realize that there are other people with more experience than me when it comes to parenting, which is why I'm just going to teach the Bible. If you want experience, you'll have to ask somebody that's more experienced. My oldest kid is two. I've got two kids, one is three months old, the other one's two years old. But what we believe at Parkway is that it's the authority of Scripture, which is what matters on topics like this, not necessarily your personal experience. Let me ask you, let me say it this way. Could a single person with no kid, who didn't have any kids, get up here and preach this text? Yes, they could. Because the authority comes from the Word of God, not from our experience. That doesn't mean your experience is necessarily wrong. It just means you always have to test it against the Scriptures. Number three, I realize some of the things today I'm going to say are controversial. I didn't know that this, this was controversial. I just assumed that this is what the Bible said, and so people for all of church history and all of world history have disciplined their kids that way. But my wife said, Zach, if you say what you just said, people are going to freak out. And I said, good. Those are the most fun sermons, okay? And then lastly, before we get into this text, I want to say this. Typically at Parkway, the thing we like talking about the most is the gospel. We like talking about Jesus. We like talking about how the fact that we're born broken and sinful and separated from God, but because God loves us, he sent his son who's lived the life we should have lived, died on the cross, and has made a way through his resurrection where we can be united with him and have eternal life. That's what we like talking about. There's a tendency as we go through the book of Proverbs, maybe for you to think that we're just giving you this big list of do's and don'ts. And I want you to hear this. The book of Proverbs is written to people who are already in covenant with God. The book of Proverbs is not some sort of moral checklist of do's and don'ts so that you can make God happy with you. It's, a, it's, it's written to people who've already been delivered. The Israelites have already been brought out of Egypt even before God gives His law. Grace precedes obedience even in the Old Testament. And so I want you to know that this is not just a list of do's and don'ts. This is wisdom for God's people who have already been made God's people by grace alone. Amen? Okay, with that in mind, let's get into verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Here's the first thing this text is going to say about raising kids. Ready? Raising a child doesn't just begin with you trying to raise a child. It begins with knowing biblical wisdom, which is something we don't have naturally and something we're going to have to seek out. Did you catch that? Look again at verse 12. On either side of the word and is really the exact same instruction. Okay? Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Those things stand in parallel. Those are not different things. What it's saying is, is you must seek out biblical wisdom. You do not have it naturally, okay? What are you born knowing how to do? Eat milk, use the restroom in your diaper, sleep, and cry. That's about it. Did I mention biblical wisdom or parenting? No, that's not something we have naturally. It's something that the text is going to say, you have to pursue this. You have to incline your ear towards it. You have to apply your heart to seek after it. What you need is not the newest, latest, and greatest tip on how to raise kids. What we all need is simply to know the Bible better, is what this text is saying. 
I've had several different jobs outside of ministry, and uh, one of those jobs that was pretty fun is uh, I was a shooting instructor, okay? So I like to joke, when I'm not teaching people to turn the other cheek, I'm teaching them how to kill, okay? So I was a shooting instructor, and, uh, and so I had to train both men and women. Which one do you think I preferred to train? Do you think it was easier to train men in shooting or women in shooting? Women, right? Because they listened. The guys had all these what we call training scars. They had all this false machismo and bravado, despite the fact that they were taking lessons because they didn't know how to shoot. They would come onto the scene being like, I already know all of this. My dad used to take me hunting as a kid. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess going hunting with your dad is the same as getting into a gunfight with another human in a parking lot. Maybe you should hear what I have to say, right? But with the ladies, they would listen. If I would say stand like this, they would stand like this. If I would say hold the gun this way, they would hold the gun this way. And they would go from having never shot to being pretty good shots, all right? Now, the same thing is true with parenting. There's a tendency sometimes for us to assume that our experience is the standard. And what it can do is it can blind us from seeing what the Bible's actually going to say. Now, that doesn't mean all your experiences are wrong. What it means, though, is that you always have to be willing to test your experience against the Scriptures. Amen? I've seen that a lot of people don't parent by looking at what the Scriptures say. They parent through experience. They parent through what works for them. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll even parent in a reactionary way depending upon how their parents acted towards them. So if they had parents that were too harsh, they might be too harsh. Or conversely, they might throw out discipline altogether. And what this text is saying is, don't come to this issue with your preconceived notions. It's saying you're going to have to imply your heart to learn wisdom, in this context, wisdom of parenting, and you're going to have to lean your ear to understand it. So what we all have to do is say, okay, these are my experiences. That doesn't mean they're all wrong, but let me test them against the Word of God, okay? Now, let's get into the juicy passages, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at it together. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. What is Sheol or Sheol? In Jewish thinking, Sheol is where you go when you die. It's seen as kind of this place of the dead. It's kind of this shadowy nether world where you go while you wait for resurrection. And so what it's saying here two times is that if you strike your child with the rod, you'll keep them from death. You strike your child with the rod, you'll keep them from the grave. You'll keep them from Sheol. You'll keep them from death. That's what it's saying. This text is saying you must discipline your children because if you give them a little pain now, you will keep them from a lot of pain later. That's what it's saying. I think here's the thing. I think we as parents want our kids to never go through any pain. We don't want to see them cry. We don't want to hurt them. We don't ever want them to go through any pain. But here's what this text is saying. That's not an option for you. They will either get a little bit of pain now from your hands, or they will get a lot of pain later on from their own hands. It's your decision. Not having pain is not an option. You get to pick the degree at which they experience that pain, okay? So I've got seven things about disciplining kids that I want to mention. Here is thing the first, according to this text. This passage assumes that a parent knows what is best for the child, not the child. Is this text here directed towards parents or children? Which one? Parents, right? There are other texts in the Bible that talk about children and what they should do in obeying their parents. This text specifically, though, is directed towards parents. Here's the first thing that you need to know about this text. The Bible assumes you know what's best for your children, not your children. Let me say it stronger. There are entire systems of parenting that assume that basically your child knows what's best for them. 
Your child knows what's righteous. Your child knows what decisions they should make. Your child knows what they should eat. Your child knows all these kind of things, and you should just somehow trust your child. Not only is that unbiblical, but it forgets and ignores the fact that nothing is quote-unquote natural today because we live after the fall. Because we live post-Genesis 3, the world is broken, and so things don't do what they were made to do, okay? What this text is, first thing it's going to say is that it's your job as a parent to bring the discipline. Your kid doesn't decide. You decide. Your kids don't know what's best. You know what's best, and so you're called to shepherd your kids, okay? I want to show you two charts. We've, I've had Tim draw a little picture for me that we're going to throw up on the screen. Two charts. The first one, uh, both of these come from a guy named Randy Stinson. Uh, he is a professor at Southern Seminary, and what he does is he teaches marriage and family dynamics classes. And uh, here's what he says. Let me show you two different ways of parenting. This is a way that many, many people end up raising their kids, okay? You see this little image here? Younger children at the top, and then they get older and we move down. Now, this open space represents how much freedom you give them. So what a lot of parents do is when their kids are really little, they don't give them much discipline, and they give them way too much freedom. What do you want to eat? What do you want to wear? Where do you want to go today? What store should we go to today? As if your kid knows what's best for them. Your kids do not know what's best for them. And so you give them way too much freedom up front, and then as they get older and they start making bad decisions, you start trying to restrict that freedom, and you see that that little, uh, you know, that little triangle kind of moves in. And then wonder, why is there so much rebellion in my kid? Well, what you've done is you've taught them you get to be the boss, and then as they get older, you get to say, no, never mind, actually, I want to be the boss again, okay? What Stinson would say is rather that we should be trying to, according to this text, that we should be trying to do it the opposite way. So we've got another picture that's the opposite. That when your kids are younger, that you should be giving them discipline and you should be making their decisions. I can decide what my son Judah gets to eat. Do you know why? Because I know what he likes and I know what's best for him. I decide what he wears. Do you know why? Because I know what the weather's going to be like that day and I know what matches, okay? Uh, I get to decide what we do and how we spend our time and these kind of things. And then, as he gets older, you're able to loosen the reins. Because I told you so is a great reason when your kid is three. But as they get older and start becoming a morally competent adult, what you have to do is you have to teach them how to make these decisions for themselves. So it is much, much easier to have tight reins up front, and as they get older, loosen those reins, opposed to having really loose reins up front, and as they get older, trying to tighten those down. Okay? That would be what this text assumes parents should do. My son doesn't even know how he feels emotionally. He'll come up to me and he will say, Daddy, I'm sad. And I'll say, no, you're not. You're happy. And he'll say, I'm happy, right? He doesn't know. It's my job. It's your job as a parent to teach your kids. Well, Zach, I don't want to tell my kid what to believe. Then you are the only person in society not telling your kid what to believe. Culture is forcing what to believe down your kids' throats. You need to be telling them what they should believe you know what's best for them. They do not. Randy Stinson, the, uh, the professor I'm talking about here, he, uh, they have like 18 kids or something. They just, in the same way that you go pick out a pair of jeans, they just go like pick, adopt new kids. They've got a billion kids. It's awesome. And uh, he was telling a story of this kid that they recently adopted, and the kid said, Daddy, my favorite sport is football. And he said, no, you're a Stinson now. Your favorite sport is baseball. And his kid said, can football be my second favorite sport? And he said, anything but soccer can be your second favorite sport. He said that. If you're a soccer person, don't get mad at me. That's what he said, okay? Now, the point of that is not to say your kids can't pick their favorite sport. That's not his point. His point was to say, you tell your kids what to believe. 
You let them know what is right and what is wrong. This text, when it commands you to discipline your kids, assumes that you know what's best for your kids, not your kids. Let's look at the text again. So that's the implication of the text. What is the command of the text? The command of the text is this. You must discipline your children. That is a biblical command. Just because the word if is used here, it's actually, you can actually see it clearer in Hebrew, but just because the word if is used here, that doesn't mean it's optional. If a police officer says step out of the car or you're, uh, if you don't step out of the car, you're going to jail, that's not an optional if. That means step out of the car, right? In the same way when this text says if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul, that's a command. That's not an optional if, Okay. So the Bible, so we see not only are parents the ones that are to impart wisdom to their children, this direct command in verses 13 and 14 is that you teach them discipline, okay? Let me get on a soapbox real quick. Here's my soapbox. Let me just hop on this real quick. Parents fight each other on parenting things all the time. That's new information to me. I just thought that parents basically got along. They're the parents after all, not the kids. But when I became a parent, I learned that online, on social media, in the news, whatever it is, that parents will rip each other apart over all kinds of parenting issues. I call them mean moms, okay? What they do is they're online, and they pick on other moms that don't parent the exact same way that they do, despite the fact that maybe the way they're parenting, no one's done in world history, okay? And what they do is they fight each other over a bunch of issues that the Bible really doesn't address, okay? Now, I'm going to mention what some of these issues are, and that doesn't mean I'm taking a stand for or against any of these issues. Everybody good on that? Okay, I just want to mention some of the things parents fight each other on. They fight each other on what type of schooling is best, homeschooling versus public schooling versus private schooling. They fight each other on breastfeeding versus formula. They fight each other on how to sleep train their children. They fight each other on essential oils. They fight each other on vaccinations, whether you should or shouldn't do them. If so, at what age and how many? They fight each other on cloth versus disposable diapers. They fight each other on being all natural versus not being all natural and a host of other things, okay? Now, let me say this very strongly. I'm not going to tell you what my position is on any of these things. Do you know why? Because the Bible does not directly command one or the other on any of those. The level at which you hold something, how tightly you hold it, should be directly correlated with how clear it is in the Bible, okay? I have thoughts on all of those things. I'm happy to tell you when I'm not up here behind the pulpit. When I'm behind the pulpit, my job is to give you the Bible, not my own opinions. But here's something you're not allowed to fight each other on. Here's something that shouldn't be controversial. Here's something that's not optional. The Bible commands you to discipline your kids. You can fight over what type of diaper is best. I don't recommend that, but you can. But what you're not allowed to fight over is whether or not the Bible commands you to discipline your kids. That is a direct command from God. Evangelicals should not disagree on that, despite the fact that many of them do. Okay? So we see the implication of the text. We see the command of the text. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 again. How does the text tell us to do this? Here's my third point. The type of discipline mentioned in the Bible is physical discipline. It is corporal punishment. Let me say it stronger. Every time the Bible tells us how to discipline, it doesn't ever give us anything other than this. That doesn't mean other ways are wrong. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But we should, that, that, should, that should shock us a little bit, that every time when the Bible tells us how to discipline, it tells us to do physical discipline, that there should be a physical response to your child's sin. I heard a lady one time say that the rod in this passage was a rod of shepherding. That when the Bible talks about using the rod on your kids, it's, it's a rod of shepherding and guiding. So let me just read the text again and see if that's right. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. It's not a rod of shepherding. It's a rod of 
discipline, okay? And this isn't the only place that the Bible says this. You ever heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child? That's actually nowhere in Scripture, that direct phrase. That's kind of like uh, cleanliness is next to godliness or God helps those who help themselves. None of those are in the Bible. But the Bible has a lot to say about disciplining your kids. We're going to run through some texts together. Let me show you a few. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, let me say something strong before I move on. The Bible just said you can tell how much you love your kid, not by how emotional you feel towards your kid, but whether or not you discipline them. Let's keep looking. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. If you're exhausted, may that be cool water to your soul. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Proverbs 20, 30, blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Proverbs 19, 18, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Isn't that a great verse? That text just said corporal punishment will keep your kid from capital punishment. That's what it's saying, okay? In Israel, you could actually have your kids put to death if they were continually rebellious. If your kid struck you, for example, if your kid cursed at you in the Old Testament law, you could have your kid put to death. But here's what this last text is saying. It's saying, don't rush into that. There's still hope for you. So if you're thinking, man, Zach, this is the first time I've ever heard about disciplining my kids. Am I too late? You're not too late. Do not set your heart on putting them to death. Discipline your son, for there is hope. For there is hope. It's not too late for you. Now, here's the question you're asking. Okay, Zach, the Bible says that we should discipline our kids. The way that it gives us to discipline our kids is through physical discipline. It's through corporal punishment. Can we use another method? Can we use another method instead? Okay? Here's the first thing I want to say to you. Why are you asking that question? Maybe you're just curious, but I found that sometimes people ask that question, and what they're really saying by that question is, I just don't like the way that the Bible says to do this. That seems mean. That seems harsh. I'm so much more enlightened than God, and so I'd like to now do other ways because this seems mean, and I don't like it, okay? Now, I will say this. I do think there are other ways you can discipline your kids, okay? Especially as they get older. At some point, spanking a 25-year-old man gets weird, right? As they get older, your, me- your method of discipline will change. I'm not saying you can't use other things, but here's what I am saying. Don't move so quickly past the only way the Bible actually tells us to discipline so you can get to something else because you don't like this, okay? There are other methods. There are other things you can do, but don't move too quickly beyond this. It's kind of like this. Let's say you were going to build something, and I gave you a toolbox that had a hammer in it, and I said, the only thing you need to build this is this hammer, And you said, Zach, can I also use a screwdriver? Sure, you can use a screwdriver. Can I also use a wrench? Sure, you can use a wrench. Zach, can I get rid of the hammer, though? I don't like the hammer. Well, hold on. That's the one thing I said that you need. You can do these other things as well, but you can't get rid of the one tool that I said that you need. Okay? I think that's how we should understand this text. Fourth thing I want you to see about these verses. Discipline is loving. Discipline is loving. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Do not withhold discipline from a child. That's the command. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. That's the instrument. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Why, according to verses 13 and 14, are we commanded to discipline? Because we're mad? Because we're angry? Because we hate our kids? No. 
It's because we're trying to keep them from something worse. By the way, verses 13 and 14 are parallel. Verse 13 is not this. This is how a lot of people read verse 13. A lot of people read it this way. Though you strike him with the rod, he will not die, which means don't worry. You're not going to kill him, okay? Now, by the way, that's true. There are times when you discipline your kid that they will work up these big crocodile tears, and you think to yourself, I've done something terrible, right? There are times you will just correct your kid, and their response makes it seem like you had thrown them in lava, right? They just freak out. That's not what verse 13 is saying. It's saying that your kid will be kept from death because you discipline him, not despite the fact that you discipline him. It's not your discipline that brings the threat of death. It's not disciplining that brings the threat of death. How do we know? Because verses 13 and 14 are parallel. They're saying the same thing. If you strike him with a rod, you'll keep him from death. If you strike him with a rod, you'll keep him from death. That's what this is saying, okay? So what you need to see also in this text, the fourth thing I want to say to you is that discipline is loving. I had a uh, Greek professor, and uh, before class, we would start off the class typically with a prayer, and he said, who wants to pray for us today? And I said, I'll pray for us. And he said, pray for us, like this. His finger was hooked, like this. He goes, pray for us. And he points at me. And so I start to pray, dear God. And all of a sudden, a kid over here in the class starts to pray because that kid thought that the professor was pointing at him because his finger was crooked and it was pointing off to the side. Okay? So I start to pray. He prays. The professor and I look at each other. And then after the prayer, he says, why did you start praying when I pointed to Zach? He said, you didn't point at Zach. You pointed at me. And the professor put up his hand like that, and he goes, ah, yes. He said, my finger is crooked. He said, here's why. He said, when I was a little kid, I was playing with a glass bottle. And my mom said, don't play with that glass bottle. You'll hurt yourself. And I disobeyed. And I was running with the glass bottle, and I fell, and it broke, and it cut the ligaments in my hand, and I can't fully extend my fingers today. Okay? The purpose of instruction, the purpose of discipline is not to keep that boy from having fun with the bottle. It's to keep him being able to use his hand. That's the point of all discipline, okay? By the way, when I tell my son, do not touch the glowing orange stove, which to him is like a bug zapper, right? And he's like a mosquito. I'm not trying to keep him from having fun. I'm trying to keep his fingers attached to his body and not all melted, okay? But God does the same thing with us, by the way. All of God's commands are for our ultimate good. They're for our ultimate joy. He's not just trying to keep us from fun or keep us from something exciting or something like that. He's a good father, and he knows what we need, and so his commands are to protect us. To quote one pastor, a guy named Tommy Nelson, down the road in uh, Denton off 380, he says this, I knew my mother loved me because she beat no other boy on our block. All right? What is the purpose of this passage? It's this to keep their soul from death. You have no idea how many couples I've talked to in my time in ministry who have, let's say, a 17-year-old son who's being rebellious. They've got a 17-year-old son who's living in the house. He's bringing his girlfriend over. He's doing drugs. He's doing whatever it is. And they say, Zach, what do we do? He's not a Christian. He's not obedient. What do we do? And here's my answer to them. You kick him out of the house. You kick him out of the house. (gasps) But, But isn't that unloving? No. What you're doing in enabling him is unloving. What you're doing right now is you're giving him the blessings of your household and his sin at the same time so he doesn't feel the sting of his sin, so he just keeps doing it. That's unloving. But Zach, what if I kick him out and he goes to jail? I'm not trying to keep him out of jail. I'm trying to keep him out of hell. What if I kick him out and he falls in with the wrong crowd? He's already with the wrong crowd, and there's no penalty for his sin right now. What I say is this. You go to your son, and you give him two options. Let him decide. You can say, 
If you want to be a part of this household, even if you're not a Christian, that's fine, but you have to follow the rules. These are the rules of this household. And if he says, I'm not going to follow those rules, then you say, then we're going to kick you out. You're kicking me out? No. In a sense, you're kicking yourself out. I'm telling you, you can be here anytime you want as long as you'll follow the rules. Fine then. And that kid goes out. Eventually, the hope is that that kid becomes like the prodigal and he gets tired of wanting to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating and wants to come back. So what you do is you tell your son, if you want to be here, these are the rules. If you're not going to follow the rules, you're gone. But we're not kicking you out for good. Anytime you want to come back, anytime you're willing to repent and follow the rules, you can be a part of this household. It's the same thing we do in church discipline. In church discipline where people have to be removed from fellowship because they're in habitual, continual, unrepentant sin, what we're saying is you can't have the blessings of this household. You can't have the blessings of this community and your sin. You have to pick. Do you love Jesus more or do you love your sin more? You have to pick. You're kicking me out? Kind of, but in a sense you're kicking yourself out. Can I come back? If you're willing to repent. Anytime someone's willing to repent of their sin and lay down their arms and resubmit to Jesus, we welcome them back with open arms. The point of this text is to say that discipline is loving, whether it's with parents to children, churches to members, or God to us. Discipline is loving, okay? Now, let me give you a few additional tips on discipline before we get to verses 15 and 16, just while we're on this topic, okay? A few things. You only discipline your kids for sin. You only discipline your kids when they rebel against you. You don't discipline them because they spilled milk because their hands are tiny. You don't discipline them just because they're annoying you because they're kids. You're trying to watch TV and they're just being kids and you just get upset. Part of what God is doing in giving you children is beating selfishness and sin out of you. You discipline your kids when they sin. You discipline them when they rebel. And here's really the thing you're disciplining them for, ready? is for disobeying mommy or daddy. That's really the one thing that they're doing. So I've given a lot of commands to my son Judah. Don't touch the lamp. Don't touch the TV. Don't stand on the couch, whatever it is. But he doesn't have to remember the thousand rules that I've made up. He just has to remember this one rule, obey mommy and daddy. Because there's nothing intrinsically morally wrong with touching a lamp. There's nothing intrinsically morally wrong with standing on a couch. The reason those things are sin to him is because I have said, do not do those things. So you discipline for sin. The specific sin that they've committed is that they've disobeyed you. By the way, it's good for them to realize that they're in trouble for the same thing over and over, which is disobeying you, because when they get older, they need to realize the one command they need to have is obey God. They don't have to know why God commands what He commands. They just have to know that they should follow it. Another thing in discipline, you discipline your child every time they sin. Every time they sin. If I tell my son, do not touch the electrical socket, he has to get in trouble every time he touches the electrical socket. Because if I only do it every other time, what is he learning? 50% of the time, there are consequences for your action. Kids are always weighing the punishment versus the crime. If they think they'll get away with it, they will do it. By the way, and you would too. If I was told, Zach, if you rob a bank, God will not count it as sin and you will not go to jail, the worst thing you'll do is you'll have to pay a $5 fine. Do you think I'd rob that bank? All day, all right? All day. That's what your kids are doing. If you only discipline them, one out of four times they do something, they're learning that three out of four times I can get away with it. You discipline them every time. Now, when they get older, you'll look for patterns, okay? So if uh, Judah turns 16 and he stubs his toe while we're moving and he says a bad word and he says, I'm sorry, Dad, I know I shouldn't have said that, I'm not going to say anything because he's realized that. You start looking for patterns of sin as they get older, but when they're little, you discipline every time. 
Keep, your, keep in mind your child's age and also if there are any mental handicaps, okay? Keep in mind your child's age and also if there are any learning disabilities or mental handicaps. If so, you need to be especially gracious. You're also going to discipline differently depending on the age of your child. You're not going to spank a two-week-old or something like that, uh, nor are you going to do that with a 25-year-old, okay? Be open to correction by other parents. Supposedly, parenting is like one thing you can't talk to other people about without them hating you. Some of you probably hate me now. Don't hate me. Hate Carl. He's our family minister, okay? He likes what I'm saying. He's the bad guy. I'm just a guy with two little kids. Look, I'm smiley. Things are good, okay? Be open to correction by other parents. And lastly, be patient if discipline doesn't work at first. Let's say you have a kid that's 13 and they've never been disciplined, and you say, okay, the Bible does command me to discipline them. I'm going to start doing that. And you try it for two weeks, and it doesn't work. Well, you've been teaching them one thing for 13 years. That's not going to be undone in two weeks. So be consistent. Be consistent. It's going to take time to teach them discipline. Verses 15 through 16. Here's what I want you to see in these verses. Ready? Now, this is huge. Hear the heart of the father in this. Hear the heart of the dad in this text when it comes to discipline. Ready? My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Okay? This text is saying that a father rejoices as his kids grow in righteousness and an obedient child will bring joy to your heart. Literally, by the way, in verse 16 when it says my inmost being, in Hebrew it says my kidneys. Okay? In Jewish thinking, the kidneys are the place of uh, the seat of emotion. Now, if you think, Zach, that is so old and just, we're so much beyond that. We're so scientific. Really? Because we say things like, I love you with my whole heart. You don't love anything with your whole heart. Why? Because your heart is a blood-pumping muscle. Okay? So we do the same thing. Here's the point of this text, though, is you're to see that the father's heart is for this child. Okay? It's for this child. He wants this child to flourish. And by the way, that's exactly the heart that God has for us when he disciplines us. Let me read you some text, not just about us disciplining kids, but about how God disciplines us. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. We're going to put this up on the screen. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Job 5, 17. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Okay? If you are a Christian, there is no more punishment left for you. Punishment has to do with pouring out the just desserts for your sin. Punishment has to do with wrath. If you're a Christian, God has zero wrath for you. All your punishment has been paid for by Christ. Amen? How is discipline different than punishment? Well, discipline's not about pouring out wrath. Discipline is something because God loves you. So if you're going through some sort of rebuke by God, you're going through some sort of suffering, you're going through some sort of discipline, there are times God just disciplines us though we're not in any type of sin just to grow us. There are other times He disciplines us because we're in some type of sin. But either way, God only disciplines those who are His kids. God's punishment on non-believers is not to discipline them. It's to let them have their sin. It's to let them be a rod for their own back, okay? I discipline my son because he's my son and I love him. Do I go around disciplining other people's kids? No, because they're not my kids. And God is the same way. God is the same way. God has this heart for us to grow us in righteousness. 
And for me to see my son playing with a loaded handgun and not go stop that means I don't love him. In the same way, if there's a Christian walking in unrepentant sin, God will bring discipline because he loves you and he doesn't want you playing with that loaded gun. Okay? So verses 15 and 16, I want you to see a few points about these as well. I've got three more points for this one. This text would mean that abusing your child is wrong and evil and sinful. Notice the father's heart in this is to bring guidance for the child. It's to bring holiness in the child. It's not because the father hates the child or comes home drunk and beats the child or something like that. What is the, dis- the difference, by the way, between abuse and discipline? Well, there's a few. One, in discipline, you're hurting the child for the child's good. In abuse, you're hurting the child for the child's bad. Additionally, what abuse does is it goes beyond what is required to discipline your child. It's too harsh, okay? In the Old Testament, you have this idea of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. What is the point of that? It's that the punishment should fit the crime. If I steal a cookie, I should not get my head cut off. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. What abuse does is it makes the punishment not fit the crime. How strongly should you discipline your kids? Here's the answer. Ready? Strong enough to get a response, not more, not less. What do I mean by a response? Strong enough to where they're obeying you. Strong enough to where they're obeying you. There is a way where if you discipline your child too gently, they don't care. I've even seen kids laugh at their parents afterwards, right? But there's also a way where you can discipline too harshly. So how strongly do you discipline? You discipline enough to get them to obey. There is a way where you can turn up the heat to where eventually the child says, this isn't worth it. If they touch the electrical socket and you do this, no. You don't even hear a pop, right? They're going to keep touching it. But there's a level at which you can turn up the heat to where eventually they say, that's not worth touching the electrical socket. So this text, the father has a heart of love, so it would exclude things like abuse. Number six, another thing I want you to see about these verses. Having disciplined kids makes your life more joyful. This command is not just to grow your kids. It's to help you. Look at it again. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. It's not just that you got a bad batch of kids. It's not just that you got crazy kids. Yes, some kids are crazier than others, but all of them can be disciplined. This text is going to say that also disciplining your kids has a benefit to you and that it makes your life more joyful. It makes it more peaceful for you. Those, those passages we just read about disciplining your kids will say things that if you don't, it stresses out your mother and is not a delight to your father. Conversely, if you discipline your kids, it makes your life more joyful. And then number seven here, celebrate when they do what is right. Notice that this dad doesn't just discipline him when he does what's wrong, but as this kid makes good decisions, as this kid grows in righteousness, the dad rejoices along with the child, okay? If you are going to be strong on discipline, which I think you should be, you also have to be strong on fun. You also have to be strong on joy. Do you know why? Because if you're just strong on discipline, you're going to present a picture of God that's not not, not the biblical picture. God is strong on discipline. He's serious, but he's also extremely joyful, extremely full of love. You have to present the same thing to your kids. So it's not, a, it's not a scale. It's not like you have discipline over here and fun over here, and the more discipline it is, the less fun you are, and the more fun you are, the less discipline. They're two separate categories. And so you should be strong on discipline, but you should also be strong on fun. For every one time that I have to discipline my son, I want there to be, I don't know, a hundred times where I get down on the ground and laugh and play and encourage him and wrestle and throw him on the couch. Now, it's not a ratio. It's not like, oh, I've disciplined him once today, so now we've got to go 10 times to Chuck E. Cheese before we can discipline him again. It's not like that. There might be three days in a row where there's just all discipline. 
But the point is that you have to strive to also encourage your kids when they do what's right, to also love them, to pour into them, to uh, be joyful around them. That if you're going to be a disciplined daddy, you also have to be fun. If you're going to be a strong disciplinarian, you have to be a strong, you know, funaparian, whatever, right? You get what I'm saying. Let's look how the text ends, verses 17 through 18. This is advice from this teacher to his student. He's given this student advice on raising his own kids, and now he's going to give this student some advice for him. Verses 17 through 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Here's what this text is saying. Don't envy the possessions or lifestyle of the sinner, but envy fearing God, which leads to life. Okay? In Hebrew, the idea here of jealousy and being zealous are held together. Don't be jealous of sinners, but be zealous for God. That's what this text is saying. Okay? So it's kind of like this. When you discipline your kids, what decision have they made? They've made a decision to choose what's temporary happiness over what's for their long-term good. This text is saying, don't you do the same thing. Don't envy the lost. Don't envy the lifestyle and possessions of the lost because God has promised something better for you. God doesn't care about you being happy. Like you're a three-year-old girl with a sucker that just wants to be happy. God does care about you being joyful. He does care about your long-term happiness. God will never ask you to give up a greater joy for a lesser joy, but He will often ask you to give up lesser joys for a greater joy being Him. What this text is saying is there's a, there's a sense to which we want to envy the wicked. We want to say, uh, here, here's, how, here's how I think of it throughout most of the week. I think to myself, there's all these fun things out there that I could do if I wasn't a Christian. Oh, I wish I could do those things. God must be a buzzkill. God must be a killjoy. God just doesn't want me to have fun. And what this text is saying is, no, 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 no. God has what's for your ultimate happiness, for your ultimate joy, for your ultimate good. These people have some temporary pleasures that leads to guilt and shame and condemnation. But by knowing Christ, you have a possession that is eternal. You have a possession that is eternal. Okay, I want to end by talking about the gospel. Again, before I do, if you are upset about something that I've said, please send an email to the following address, carl at theparkwaychurch.com, okay? He agrees with everything that I've said. I, I went through my notes with him just to make sure, okay? We would love to have conversations with you. If you're upset, you disagree, this made you mad, this is a safe place where you can chat about it. We'd love to sit down, grab coffee, but we have to talk about Scripture. Please don't send me an article or a book or anything like that. We have to talk about Scripture if you want to talk about things. We'd love to chat with you about these things. Let's end with the gospel. I want to show you something that's said in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, 7 through 8 says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Let's talk about what this has to do with the gospel, and then we'll be done. We have been disobedient children. We have rebelled against God. We have not done what we were supposed to do. God has said, not do this, and we've done it. Do not lie, I've lied. Do not lust, I've lusted. Do not be proud, I'm proud. Do not. In all these commands God has given us, we have failed. We have failed. But the one who has been an obedient son is the only one that's a son by nature. We're sons of God by adoption, but we're just people. We're just made from the dirt. The Son of God has come, and He has taken on humanity. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And what he has done is he has been the perfect God-man. Yes, he's truly God. Yes, he's fully divine. He's also truly human. And what that means is he also has to be obedient as a human. Whereas Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. 
Whereas Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years and failed, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and succeeds. Whereas Israel rejects God's law, Jesus knows God's law. Whereas Israel's been disobedient, or Adam's been disobedient, or you or I've been disobedient, Christ has been obedient. He suffers. He learns obedience as a son. Because we have failed, we have been disobedient, God has sent His only true Son to redeem us, to die for our sins, to live the life that we should have lived, and to be obedient on our behalf. It's not the case that Jesus just died for your sins, although He did do that. He also lived a perfect life so you can have positive righteousness. He is obedient. Whereas we say, God, not your will but mine, He says, not my will but thine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this text. I pray if there's any misunderstanding or offense that was caused unnecessarily, I pray that you would just apply kind of a a healing balm to that in our hearts. And so we thank you uh, that you guide us in the gospel. We thank you for sending the second person of the Trinity to take on humanity, to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve to die. We thank you for raising him from the dead. We thank you for giving us your spirit by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I just pray that you would guide us now. I pray that you would help us in parenting. I pray for those that uh, are not parents, that they would be encouraged to know how much you love them. That in the times they're going through discipline, the times they're going through suffering, it's not because you don't love them, but because you do. And so would you help us where there's confusions or frustrations? We love you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.